0: Blog Talk Radio. This is the July 26, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and we discuss here news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peacock. I am back from vacation and from a you know kind of interesting and awesome experience having appeared on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. Many of you, I assume many of you who are listening right now probably saw the appearance. And um, yeah, just a whirlwind in in the last couple of weeks since I've spoken with you guys. Uh, Welcome here at Blog Talk Radio, those of you who are joining me here in the chat room. I see Tim Peck. Tim, thanks for sharing the show out there on Twitter as well. I know that Rob Abiero was also sharing it out there. He'll probably join us here soon, I'm hoping. He also gave me some good news stories to get me back into the swing of things, so thanks for that. Selfishness, Robert, Monsieur, Richard Betts, just Jean, John, Robert, our Chief Justice, haha, and Craig, welcome, some guests, welcome to you as well, and yeah, it's a warm-up show, right? I'm still a little bit reeling. I don't know if I really have jet lag or not because I wasn't gone long enough to get completely adjusted to the time in Europe. But then probably by the time I was really starting to get adjusted, it's a nine-hour difference, I was on my way back. So a little bit of whiplash there, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing, doing okay generally, better each day. Um, but I'm also just kind of reeling because I got confirmed on another Fox show just before I started the show here. It was just about maybe five minutes or ten minutes before the show started that I got the confirmation email. i had gotten a feeler invitation the other day, and I responded and said, yes, I'd do it. And I was waiting to hear. The show is called The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton. It's a fairly new show on Sunday nights on Fox News. It airs at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The format is different than Tucker Carlson's show. They've got a panel, and the panel is on for most of the show. It's a three-person panel, so I'm going to be one of three sitting there in studio with Steve Hilton. So this is going to be a completely different format. I don't know topics yet, so when I do know topics, I'll let you guys know. Hopefully they'll give me topics in advance, time enough to do some cramming and feel like I'm prepared as, as I get up there. But I will keep everyone posted. I'm just very excited to have this opportunity and it underlines the feeling that I had going into my vacation. You know, I was on Fox two days before I was scheduled to go on vacation. It just And I hadn't expected to get the invitation. It was out of the blue. It was really nice. And so I go and I do this. And then I got some feedback. And I felt, of course, as well, that I had done what I thought was a good job. And it contributed to my feeling that I really deserve the vacation in a way that I had earned the vacation. I mean, I also had recently handed in the script for the Atlas Shrugged project, you know, finished up the work on that, particularly the condensation of of Galt's speech. I'd finished a semester of of teaching, but that doesn't necessarily give you a huge sense of accomplishment. My class wasn't very large and, and stuff like that. Other things as well, you know, that have been accomplishing over the last while, getting myself back in physical shape after the kidney surgery and all those things. So, okay, this is awesome. Like, you know, get get to go after having appeared on Tucker Carlson and I think acquitting myself well. So now I get back and I have this confirmation by getting another invite on Fox. So I'm really looking forward to this and making the most of that opportunity as well. I thank everyone who's been listening to my show for all the years that I've been doing it because no doubt doing this show has helped to prepare me you know, to take advantage of the opportunity like that when I get it. So, yeah, thanks to all of you. Thanks to all of you for your support. Uh, by the way, it's not like I'm being hired by Fox. I'm not being paid by them. Maybe at some point if I do very well and I keep taking the best advantage of these opportunities, then at some point maybe I could work into a paid position. That would just be wonderful. That would be a dream. Uh, but unless and until that happens, I do appreciate the people who actually support my show as well. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm a little bit kind of nervous. No, 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 I'm not too nervous. I'm just kind of blown away. I'm excited by the fact that I get this opportunity again. In some ways, I feel like, yeah, I've worked for something like this for a long time, but I hadn't really expected it to happen. And in fact, I had started making other plans for my life, and I'm still working on parallel plans of where I'm going next, with, with things, because I don't know what exactly what's going to happen with this, but I am quite excited, and I'm, I'm ready to to dive in with this opportunity. If you, you know, uh, Selfishness says, what was the original show on webinar? Yeah, I had, I originally was using the platform called GoToWebinar. I don't know, I don't know why I did that exactly, and then I switched over here to BlogTalk, and BlogTalk ha- has its pros and cons, but it's, user-friendly for me and enables you guys to call in and talk to me live in a way that I don't know of any other platform that can do this. It might be at some point that I'll figure out how to create the ideal platform. I like having people call in regularly during the show. Not at, you know I don't get calls every single show. Sometimes you guys just let me ramble the whole time, and often I have more than enough to fill the 90 minutes, but I like that option. So by the way, I'll give you the opportunity to call in if you want to, 760-888-5817. And we can talk about any of the stuff. The, you know, the vacation, the Tucker Carlson appearance, or any of the stories. I actually do have some news stories. I'm warming up, but I have a few news stories on the blog at don'tletitgo.com. You can check those out. Uh, also exciting the Jezebels are back in the studio. They've been sending out little photos by Instagram. So I'm excited about that as well. What I've shown you, if you go over to the program notes, the very first link is I have my own Instagram account, and that is where I have been just putting all sorts of photos from the vacation. You're starting to get an interspersing of, you know, I'm, I'm back in California my flowers and stuff, but mostly it's vacation photos. And the primary focus that I have in, in those photos is distributing all these great photographs. Well, great. I don't know if they're great. I think they're good. Uh, photographs taken with my iPhone of Stefan Sending uh, sculpture. Stefan Sinding is the sculptor whose work was my primary motivation for going to Copenhagen for this particular trip. I mean, I could have gone for vacation other places, and I chose Copenhagen because of this sculptor's work. And In particular, there's one called Anam and Unfam, A Man and a Woman, and you will see that one along with a whole bunch of other sculptures and other little highlights from the trip to Copenhagen if you go to the Instagram account. The very last photo that I've posted there this morning, there was a shop called Dagny. And I actually didn't go into the shop. I mean, vacation. I was just kind of in in this interesting space. Again, it, my primary focus was these works of art and anything else that I kind of absorbed. I took some pictures of flowers here and there. I pet one dog. Uh, that I, you know, I have dogs. And so when I'm away, sometimes I, I miss the dogs. And there was one dog that would most remind me of, of the spirit of mine and a little Australian shepherd that was adorable. So, you know, here and there. Yeah, definitely noticed other values, and yes, there was a shop called Dagny, and I've seen other shops called Galt, this or that, and different places and stuff, so I just took a photo. I didn't go in. I've got, I've since gone to the website, and it looks like it's women's fashions and other things, maybe some home fashion as well. Uh, I don't know if it's inspired by Atlas Shrugged because I went to the website and I couldn't read. I can't translate from the Danish. Thankfully, everyone in Copenhagen speaks English because I did not study. I just... The whole trip was, you know, in terms of going to Copenhagen, planned around this sculptor. I just wanted to go to a couple of museums and see as much as I could. And uh, there was also a park that you can go to and see the Valkyrie by Stefan Uh, So I I highly recommend it if you want to go and just see a bunch of wonderful romantic sculpture, primarily from Sindig. There's also the Torvaldsen Museum and everything, but I find him... You know, it's funny. He, he's not totally repressed, but I find him a slight bit repressed uh, compared to Sindig. And you can take a look at it and see. I'm going to be posting some Torvaldsen sculptures, but my primary focus was to get a whole bunch of photos of the Sindig pieces in, out there. And I'm done with that now. And then I'll post some from Torvalson. I took a lot of pictures. And more than actually I want to post, of more pieces than I want to post, part of that was due to the organization of the Torvalson Museum. What they did is they put some of the same exact pieces in different places. So they have, you know, here's the model of the piece, and then here's the finished piece in a different part of the museum. And so you're in one part of the museum, you go, wow, that's really cool. You take a picture of it, and it's just the model um, and then you go to the other part, and there's the marble finished piece, and then you've suddenly taken another picture. So there's that. I've got duplicates. And the other thing is I saw the Torvalson Museum after I'd seen Carlsberg Museum, and in particular the little Carlsberg tour that permits you to view the sculpture, you know, this man and a woman sculpture. And then after that went to Glyptotecet, which has, all the sending pieces, and then also I was admiring some of the Rodin as well, and, and a few other things, but after you go to, you know, a museum, or those of you who have been to flea markets, or things like that, you just get decision fatigue, you've heard this term, decision fatigue, out there in the culture, and so by the time I hit the Torvaldson Museum, I believe it was on Friday, yeah, it was on Friday, I don't think I had as much selectivity about what I was photographing. So I've got a bit more sorting to do before I can put some. But I will put some of his up there. It's beautiful. I mean, so talented, Torvalson, too. But like I said, I just I just slightly, I quite a bit, I think, prefer Sindig. And if you will look at the contrast, you'll see why. I did already post one piece from Torvalson, and it was a Cupid. So you can look at that. And it, it's gorgeous, right? but there's something about the sending that's just a, a bit more and what's interesting I don't think I took a picture of Torvalson's self-portrait but I, what I'd like to do is kind of put side by side Torvalson and sending and you can take a peek and then you can give me your comments about that as well just Jean in the chat room says I love the sculpture photos you've been posting Yeah, I mean I love them too otherwise I wouldn't be sharing them I I think he is obviously deserving of wider recognition. If anyone's interested in taking a trip to Copenhagen again, which I highly recommend, it's very romantic to just go and see all of these wonderful pieces. So if that's the kind of trip you would enjoy, just walking around a city, I clocked over eight miles one day, just walking through this city, and it just it's it's really great, it, especially if you have good weather, a decent weather. Maybe got rained on one day. So not too bad at all. Just just go check it out. People were friendly, spoke English. There are clever names of restaurants here and there that you could have fun. I posted a couple menus from places that I, I went to. So, yeah, highly recommended. If you want a couple tips, then you can message me on the, the various media, and I, I can let you know. Okay, so that's vacation. What else about that? So, you know, what is a vacation... Make you realize, (laughs) it makes you realize you didn't miss the news. I I, I really did not miss news while I was there. I was just absorbing, and you know, I gave myself this assignment. You could say that what I was doing there is in furtherance of my productive purpose in terms of spreading good elements of the culture out there, reinforcing good elements of the culture. This work of sending. It was really interesting to hear both about him. Um, you know, his, his life, the, you know, the fact that he had achieved artistic recognition in, in his life. He, you know, won a big prize in, I believe, 1889 in Paris for the sculpture Woman in, in Captivity. So he achieved this recognition in his lifetime. And then with the popularity, the increasing popularity of modern non-representational art, I guess he fell out of fashion And, you know, it's interesting now, given the level of talent, that he doesn't have this wider recognition that I I think he deserves. But perhaps many of you can help with that, kind of spread it out there. So that was another thing I wanted to do, too. Go out on the Instagram and tag Glyptateke, which is the museum that has all of his work, and let them know that this is something that people actually come to their museum for specifically. Specifically, maybe I'm the only person, (laughs) I don't know. I went into the bookstore and I was looking for a book on Sindig and they didn't have a book. They have a ton of books in their bookstore and they didn't have it. So they, I think, should be reminded of the value of of this man's work as well. So if you do enjoy it, I'm not saying you have to enjoy it. Maybe you don't agree with me. That's fine. There's no, you know, it's certainly not part of the objectivist, Oh, I, there's, a, there's a word that I'm trying to think of, but I can't think of it right now, and I don't know if it's because I'm excited or tired or what, but it's it's not you know some sort of official objectivist lore that you're supposed to like this sculptor. I actually didn't know about this sculptor as far as I know. So there's nothing, you know you, there's no requirement, but if you do love it and you agree with me that it deserves wider recognition out there, then go ahead and feel free to... Spread the word. It's interesting because as I've been posting all these things on Instagram, it's the Torvaldson Museum people who keep liking my posts of sending sculpture, not the people at the Glyph And they're the ones actually who host the sculpture. There's none of the sending work at, at Torvaldson, although there is some work of other people. So you could definitely fill a few wonderful days there. And like I said, highly. Highly recommended. There's, I'm sure there's other great things that you could have taken advantage of as well, but I didn't want to overschedule myself. I wanted it also to be a vacation, have leisurely time just to walk through the city and absorb and 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 not have decision fatigue, which, you know, like I said, I think towards the end of the week I was getting a little decision fatigue and, and taking too many pictures at, at Torvaldson. Okay, so I think that's what I have on, on the vacation. What about the appearance? So. I was getting uh, quite a bit of feedback on the appearance, mostly positive, thanks to everyone who was really supportive about it. I had one person who said, oh, it's sad that she didn't mention Ayn Rand. Um, I didn't see any place where it would be natural to mention Ayn Rand. Obviously, I've never been shy about my connection with objectivism. I'm one of the few people who went through and got a Ph.D. in philosophy and was completely out in the open about the fact that I was an objectivist the entire way through. So I'm not a person to hide that. And yet I'm not also going to gratuitously shoehorn it in to an appearance where it doesn't seem necessary or, or appropriate. If anything had come up in the conversation where it seemed, you know, okay, I should quote Ayn Rand here or paraphrase or mention or something, I would have done it. You know, and it's often naturally off on the top of my head and, I, you know, I – I'm the curator of the Ayn Rand bot, so there's always these quotations in my consciousness and running through my head and I you know, I check them and share them every so often and stuff. So it's it's there, it's at top of mind. I've been working on Atlas Shrugged, but it, it it's not something that I'm gonna go out of my way to do. And in fact it is true, unfortunately, because of people's misunderstanding of Ranner that, you know, people tend to listen to those in the culture who denounce Rand without having read her, all the, all the misconceptions about Rand, that if you say Ayn Rand up front, they might completely tune you out. You know, again, nonetheless, if it was, it was appropriate for me to mention Ayn Rand at the very beginning, I would do it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to do it, particularly if people are going to tune me out. And what happens if people see me on Tucker Carlson and they say, oh, she actually did a decent job in a conversation with him. It was an exchange of ideas. It wasn't hostile. It was you know, something in which some important things were discussed as opposed to just talking heads, talking about politics all the time. If people were impressed with it, then they would go and see who I am, and they'd go to my blog, and they'd see that right there on my blog, when you go to the about, it's a quotation from Ayn Rand. John Roberts says the only thing is that Fox should have given you more time. Well, I mean, what are they doing now? So now they're inviting me back, right? They had, you know, scheduled this in advance. Think about this. I had not been on television for 17 years. I have been on camera here or there, so I was on the documentary, um, you know, Ayn Rand and the Prophecy of Atlas Shrugged and put a little bit of video out there here and there. But I hadn't been on there for – Seventeen years, and I'm just some new person that Tammy, thankfully, thanks to Tammy Bruce for recommending me. Um, you know, they're, they're taking a chance, and I'm remote; <laughs> they don't know who I am. So I go on there in eight six minutes, and he gave me, I think, plenty of time to talk and, and exchange ideas with him in the six minutes. Maybe in the future they'll have me back on Tucker Show; that would be wonderful. And now they're going to let me go talk to Steve Hilton in, in studio. It's a, it's a great opportunity. So I think they're doing everything that's appropriate. I don't think that you know they should have canceled the guest in the next segment in order to talk to me more or anything like that. I don't think that would have been objective either. I do think he didn't quite know what to expect. They had expected a feminist, and I'm not the person that you would expect to be talked about as a feminist. Craig is asking me if I can boost the volume on my show right now. Is anybody else having trouble with the volume? You guys can tell me. Somebody else in the chat room if you're having trouble with the volume. I'm sitting here holding a bottle of water thinking I might take a sip of it. So let me do that. Get my face back up in the microphone. So the, the other thing that I do want to talk about is that issue of feminism. You know, he called me, introduced me as a feminist. And... Obviously, I didn't tell them I was a feminist. I think that they must have assumed that because they had gotten to me through Tammy Bruce. Yeah, everyone else is saying that their volume is good. It's Yeah, volume is fine, say people. So, Craig, it might be your connection. And that happens sometimes. If, first thing is probably to refresh your connection, and then if you're having trouble, maybe still feel free to post in the chat room whenever you've got an issue, and then we'll just check with other people about you know, technical issues. Um, so feminism, right? I am not a, I don't consider myself, you know, I don't go out and announce myself as a feminist, but it did bring up the issue and it did bring up a discussion among some friends on my Facebook page about, you know, how bad is it that they called me a feminist and should I have said something about it? If you watch the clip, I haven't watched it since my vacation. Um, I'll go back and watch it again. I think I only watched it only one time. But it's, it's hard to watch yourself, but I'll, I'll go back and watch it. If you watch it, you'll see that when they introduced me, maybe you could see it in my eyes. I kind of got a little tripped up for a second, and certainly in thanking him for having me on the show, I I stumbled over words a little bit. And it was because I was thinking, should I say something? And it did, did not seem important in the context for me to say that. My whole focus was on delivering my opening salvo. And I knew in my mind if I could just, calmly deliver that opening salvo, then the conversation would go from there. And I had another big point that I wanted to make, and thankfully I was able to get in as well. But there were just a couple main things that I wanted to go, you know, to really say during that segment that I thought were important to say about the arbitrary and about contradictions. And other than that, everything else was gravy. So I didn't want to take away any focus from that and start having the debate about feminism or anything else. Um, oh, they're talking about the volume is low in Paraguay. Okay, sorry, Craig. I mean, it could just be Internet connection. Maybe there's something on the computer that you can modify there. Yeah, so in the context, it just did not seem important. And this kind of brings up this issue of hierarchy that I want to get to in, in a minute. You know, what's the most important thing in that context for me it was being able to talk on primetime television in a congenial way about these important issues of epistemology that are raised by this story that they wanted to discuss. So the issue of the arbitrary, the issue of open versus closed-mindedness. What sort of closed-mindedness is a problem? The only type of closed-mindedness that's a problem, in my view, is the one that I talked about in this segment, which is that somebody comes to you with evidence that contradicts the view that you currently hold, and you refuse to even consider that evidence. That's the closed-mindedness that's a problem. And the kind of open-mindedness that the study was explicitly and implicitly valuing was the kind that is the willingness to accept the arbitrary and to consider the arbitrary things for which there is no evidence to the you know to consider that persuasive and in fact the study it asked the people to create arguments against their own view you know imagine you look at a question and you consider all the evidence available to you about what's the right answer to that question then you've decided what the right answer is right that's what the first thing is that they ask you to do they say here's this question about Painting your house a light color, seriously, that's one of the questions. And, you know, you've considered all the evidence and you've decided, okay, this is the right answer. And you tell them that I take this position, this is my position. Then they say, come up with arguments for the other position about why the other position is better than yours. And then you're supposed to rank those as persuasive. If you don't deem the arguments for the other side as persuasive, then that study would label you as closed-minded. That is, and, you know, again, the, my opening salvo was to tie that into the issue of fake news, right? Are you close-minded if you refuse to seriously entertain or to spread fake news? And then, of course, I was clear to say, what do I mean by fake news? These media narratives for which there is no evidence. If people actually listened to that and thought about that and said, okay, no, you know, we've been – Fox News, we've been denouncing fake news forever and, you know, CNN and all the fake news. Is it so fake now? You know, we don't know this Russia story. But if it's truly fake, if there's no evidence for it, Fox News has rightfully been saying, no, you know, you should not spread fake news. You should not ask your audience to seriously entertain fake news. Nobody should be giving free rent in their head to the arbitrary, right? That was a main issue to get across, and I think I did that – fairly well, a little bit nervous in the beginning, right? And then as time goes on, we we got distracted on this other thing and I got the opportunity to bring in something that I discussed on the show, this issue of critical thinking and the link of, the link between the lack of critical thinking skills in colleges and violence on campus. You know, the the idea that somehow the way you're going to stop or the way that you're going to deal with speech that you disagree with is through violence. Why is that? People don't have these critical thinking skills. They don't have this ability to think about the arguments that the other side is presenting. They don't know how to answer them properly except for insults and violence. This lack of skills. So I got to have some common ground with Tucker on that a little and say, yes, this is important. The ability to think about and consider arguments for the other side. That's an important skill. However, it, the study that they asked me to look at, the study that they wanted you know, to, to see, not only did they say, okay, is it good to be able to consider these other arguments, but you're supposed to evaluate them as persuasive. And if you didn't rank them as persuasive, you were closed-minded. And that's a distinction that I was able to draw with him during that little you know, sort of side thing. And then uh, I did have an opportunity towards the end to talk about the other criteria of closed-mindedness that the study put forth, which was you are supposed to, to not be closed-minded, you're supposed to integrate contradictions into your thinking. That's ridiculous, right? Because then it's basically, if you believe in Aristotle's law of logic, then you are closed-minded according to that study. So I brought that issue up, you know that here's this basic law of logic. And again, what would I say is closed-minded in a bad way, closed-minded in a bad way is if somebody comes to you with evidence that contradicts your view and you are unwilling to actually look at that evidence. So you're evading reality. Of course that's wrong. But this I, you know, this idea that open-mindedness is always a great thing, I challenge that as well. So A lot of important points I was able to get into the six minutes and have a congenial exchange with him. And I think that's all you can really do. There were some people who said, oh, when he came in at the beginning, you know, can you contradict science? Then they have the perfect answer or whatever. I didn't see whatever the perfect answer is supposed to be. What I can tell you is however he opened that segment, the way he did that, what was my job? My job was to turn it around and say, okay, I'm going to give you my opening salvo. And that's what I did. So, I, you know, I, I felt like, yeah, I acquitted myself well, and had a nice exchange with him. I liked him. He seemed to like me, and hopefully, I get to go back and and have some good more experiences with that. So, uh, so that's me. Am I am I being defensive by defending what I did there? I I just try to explain my thinking about it, but. I, I, you know, I, Like I said, you just go on, you just do the, the best that you can with something like that. So that is that. Let's go into hierarchy, this issue of, of value hierarchy that I want to do here. And what I've done is I've put a link to Leonard Peekoff's book, Objectivism, The Philosophy of Ayn Rand. There's a couple places in which the issue of value hierarchy is discussed. One is kind of further... Back in the book, it's in the politics section, and it's in the section where he's discussing the moral defense of, of capitalism. And it's a lot of politics in there, but at the same time, there is this discussion about someone who's a swimmer and who's given themselves the task of, for example, swimming across some channel. And, you know, what is your actual goal in? swimming across a particular channel. If your goal in swimming across the channel is just to get to the other side, then you're gonna swim in a much different way than if the swimming itself is a value pursuit for you. So if if you're just wanting to get to the other side, then you might stop and rest a little bit and um, you know like like I said when I go went to Copenhagen my job there. I mean, I didn't see like, oh, I want to pack every single day and see every single thing you can see in Copenhagen. I'm sure there's a lot that I've missed and I'd like to go back. But it was to, you know, have the primary values that I was going after and then if they, there seemed to be other things I could fit in and still have that nice feeling of a, a vacation, put that in as well. So what is your purpose? And the way that you execute something is going to depend on what your purpose is. So he talks about, you know, if, if you're really into swimming, then maybe you're going to do some little sprints and you're going to zig over here and zag over there and you're really going to enjoy it. And if your purpose is just to get to the other side, then might you might conserve energy because who knows, there's something you want to do when you get to the other side that you need the energy for. Right? So hierarchy of values. What is your purpose in doing whatever it is that you are doing? So that's and if you actually look up value hierarchy in the back of the book in the index, it'll drop you into the section on politics. Then there's another discussion of this issue, although it's not indexed per se, in the section about productiveness as the central purpose of the good life. And that you know, there are always these competing values in your life and, and what your goal then is is to organize all the values that you would like to pursue and, you know, sort of allocate all the time that you have or resources and everything according to that central purpose, which is the productive purpose of your life. And one thing to think about, of course, is what is that purpose going to be? And is that purpose the thing that makes you money or not? You know, there's all sorts of things to think about in in this. And I'm not telling you, I'm going to give you great insights about, you know, your particular situation, maybe some things that I I say will, you'll find helpful as well. But what standing back and going on a vacation can do is make you call into question and just think more explicitly about how you allocate your time and resources and, and attention around your productive purpose. Now, it doesn't mean everything is sacrificed for your productive purpose, of course, because a lot of the other things that you pursue contribute to your productive purpose. I'm convinced, actually, that when I walk around the neighborhood and I'm taking pictures of flowers, uh, that doing that contributes to my productive purpose. It's a bit of a downtime, and it's a different type of a mental focus that I'm engaging in. It's a little bit of a value pursuit. You could analogize it, but I'm not doing this to, you know, be some worshiper or whatever. But, you know, Ran had stamp collecting, right? And Rand, she collected stamps. and this I'm collecting these pictures of, of pretty flowers. And it just happens to be something that I can do while I'm doing other things. I've got these dogs that I've, you know, signed on to take care of and, and that I want to have nice walks with and stuff. So I do that while I'm doing this. It fits in, right? So you can you can fit other value pursuits into this life around your productive purpose, but what the, you know, what Leonard talks about in the book is that this productive purpose has to be the central purpose of the good life. What's the validation for that, that we have to, as human beings, produce values, otherwise we can't stay alive, right? So there's your validation, but knowing that, you know, productive activity is a central purpose of a good life, a good and happy life, there are so many options, so many options to consider, uh, you know, how important are relationships, how important is family to you, how important is a social life to you, how important are vacations. If you take vacations, is it traveling, is it longer vacations, is it shorter vacations? What do you find most refueling? Do you like to do leisure activities that require a lot of mental exertion? Maybe you want to play bridge or chess or some sort of strategy game, or maybe you just want to walk around the neighborhood and take pretty pictures of flowers, like I'm doing on some of my off time. Uh, you know, basic chores of life, the maintaining your house and things like that. Do you like a lot to do a lot of that yourself? Do you find it? relaxing and refueling in and of itself or do you feel like you should delegate like so many of the success gurus do there's so many options to consider and one thing that a vacation can make you do if you actually do take a vacation and you tune out some of the distractions of, of news and to a large extent social media and things like that is you can think about the hierarchy of those or the place of those in the hierarchy of your values so i was thinking, obviously, about news. And one thing we could use as an example is right now we've got the Republicans in the Senate. They've agreed you know, to debate on, they've been debating and they voted on at least one potential Republican plan to repeal Obamacare, is that right? So what you could do is, if anybody in the chat room knows, if there's any latest developments, have they voted on another second plan or... Any of that, I don't know exactly what to hope for in this, you know, among all these plans. If any of these plans are worthwhile, should we really think that they're good? I did read one piece thanks to Sonny Lohman. I haven't stuck it in the program notes, but Sonny Lohman had shared a link talking about the fact, and I think this is true. If you think that you are repealing a significant portion of Obamacare and yet you are still requiring insurers to cover pre-existing conditions in any of the plans. The way that I think the piece put it was something like fighting fire with gasoline. Because, again, what they are doing is they are saying that insurance really isn't insurance. It's now a, a vehicle for redistribution of wealth. If they were truly selling insurance, you would leave them the option about whether they ever wanted to ha- offer any plans that covered pre-existing conditions, right? You know, you don't say, oh, I'm going to buy house insurance and I want coverage for the fire that already burned down my house. But that's exactly what we are asking the health insurers to do, and we're saying we want you to still call it insurance. That's fraud. Uh, the other thing that insurance is not, the insurance, should not be prepaid health care that you may or may not get, you may or may not need at all, Not, I mean, as the type of being that you are. So, for example, under Obamacare, men have to pay for maternity care that they will not need ever in their whole lives no matter what. Now, of course, there's women who pay for it too, and maybe they're not going to need it because they're going to make the choices not to have children, but men clearly won't need it, and yet they're still paying for it under Obamacare pediatric dental I guess everybody whether they have kids or not they're paying for it so this this idea that insurance that you're going to still call it insurance and you're going to have a significant component of the so-called premiums that you pay go to fund this prepaid health care that's wrong as well so what you could say is what the Republicans should be doing if they truly believed in a free market is that they should have the goal of legalizing insurance, actual insurance, where you decide, okay, you know, I don't have any cancer now, and maybe I'll never get cancer, but I would like to go ahead and purchase some insurance against the risk that I might someday get cancer and need cancer treatment or heart disease or anything else in the world. Is that what the Republicans are doing? Apparently not, because they're going to include this, you know, in any of these plans, they're going to include the requirement for covering pre-existing conditions. Now, I think maybe some of the plans allow at least the charging of a higher premium if somebody has a pre-existing condition. But, how you know, how can they really know? And, and what you're doing is you're forcing them to take on costs that they have not voluntarily agreed to take on these insurance companies. Now, some of the insurance companies say, oh, yeah, we're in favor of xyz plan that senator so and so is is putting up there those people are the crony types that they they don't actually believe in a free market they don't really want to do business in insurance they are dealing with government pull and seeing how long they think they can survive and get a so-called profit based on these government mandates and it, it's just really sad this is a bit long-winded way of saying that I don't know exactly what's in these various plans and, you know, if I think about what is it important for me as my little talk show, you know, host thing that I do here, is it important for me to know the details of every single one of these plans and say, okay, well, which one should you support? Maybe not because even if I told everybody who listens to my show go out there and call your senator and be in favor of X plan. There's not a whole ton of people. I don't have a big audience here. Maybe at some point I will have a bigger audience and that would be wonderful. And then I would start to feel more responsibility for doing things like this, right? So this is my point about value hierarchy. What can I affect through my show? And I don't think I can affect anything like that, right? Um, if I told all of you to call your senator and support X plan, then I don't think, you know, A, would they listen, but B, if I had a huge audience, maybe they would, and then I would start to feel like I have, I have some responsibility to get in there because I do think there is at least maybe a potential to significant, you know, significantly scale back Obamacare in some way. And like I said, I remember Ted Cruz saying something about a plan that would allow these insurers at least to charge more to people who have pre-existing conditions and so they wouldn't be completely just soaking up risk and redistributing wealth to a, that large an extent it would reduce the scale of it so okay be in favor of, of that kind of plan you know so this is a, this is what I would do um, if I felt that I could make a difference in that realm where can I make a difference or where is it interesting to me to think about the different plans when I see a story for example that some Republicans are going to not support a particular plan for repealing Obamacare, replacing it, or whatever. They're not going to support it because it includes funding for Planned Parenthood, right? includes funding for Planned Parenthood. Now, obviously, as a capitalist, I'm a staunch capitalist, I don't think the government should be funding any health care, so I don't think government should in an ideal world be funding Planned Parenthood however government for the foreseeable future as far as we know is going to continue to fund health care and so the only choices that you've got in a particular context about whether you're going to support a piece of legislation is are we moving still inexorably towards the direction of socialized medicine Or are we going to take a significant step back and and away from it? Do we have that opportunity right now? If we do have that opportunity, again, I don't know the particular plans and which ones have the ability to succeed and which one you should call your senator over, right? But that's my standard. My standard is can you look at one of these plans and say, yes, this is a significant step back away from this inexorable push towards socialized medicine that both republicans and democrats are guilty of pushing us towards granted obamacare was a huge step in that direction and then damn john roberts not the john roberts here in the chat room but the chief justice john roberts who let that slip by as a so-called tax when procedurally it was never passed as a tax to mandate it is ridiculous that you know the whiplash talk about whiplash that day if you were watching the news when those poor commentators you know I can't remember if I was watching Fox News or anybody else. (laughs) They're sitting there with the Supreme Court opinion, and they're excitedly announcing that, you know, in the opinion, beginning of the opinion, Roberts strikes it down as a mandate, and they think that's it. And then they're still going through, right? They're on live TV, and they're trying to absorb this as they're reporting on it. And then they see later in the opinion that it's upheld as a tax. So, the, I mean, the, the what do they call them at the bottom, the um, you know, the, the running headline at the bottom, the cryon or something, I can't remember. You guys got to give me the word in the, in the chat room. But, you know, on the bottom, it's, it's saying that it's struck down, the mandate is struck down, and then they have to change it quickly and say, no, Obamacare was upheld by this bastard as a tax. It was a huge step forward of course towards single payer towards socialized medicine in part because of the medicare expansion we've talked about this you know a lot on this on the show but republicans are also guilty of pushing us in that direction so the was it medicare part d the drug uh, prescription drug expansion under bush how about that And there were other things as well that Republicans have done to further push us in the direction of single-payer, otherwise known as socialized medicine. If you want a heartbreaking example of where that leads, just go and see the developments in the Charlie Gard case. The worst, latest development in that case, of course, is that not only were the parents not allowed to pursue the treatment, you and I could argue about whether pursuing treatment for Charlie Gard amounted to child abuse because that's really the standard there. Otherwise, the parents should be able to make the decision, but under socialism under socialized medicine, the state owns you what happens to your body under medical care, and so they were not permitted to make these decisions for their kids. I think the state should stay out in a, in a free country unless whatever the parents are, is you know what they're doing amounts to child abuse, and we could talk about whether it was. I'm not sure that it was, and at least at the very beginning, there seemed to be some real hope or you know, some some amount of hope that might be worth pursuing and that you would let parents pursue as long as they could do it in a humane way, not abusing their child. So imagine they get, you know, shot down, shot down, all the, everything they want to do for months and now the kids deteriorated that even if they did the treatment, it wouldn't do any good now, permanent damage and everything else. Whatever you said about what could have happened at the beginning, it's over because of the delay. And so he, they're going to have to let him die. And the last thing the parents want to do is bring him home so that he can die in privacy with his parents. It, it seems like the least you could give him. And then they wouldn't even let him have that. Now, that was the last I heard. Maybe you can tell me that some politician with two you know, two bits of brain cells to rub together, some politician intervened and helped them get this, but that's where it leads, right? That's where socialized medicine leads, and that's what Obamacare is the significant step forward. This is what the Republicans have also been pushing us toward. You know, this is something that'd be interesting to talk about with some of these Republicans, even on, on Fox. You know, would they actually endorse a completely 100% free market in medicine? Would they be willing to do that? We know that most of the Republicans in the House and the Senate are not, right? But nonetheless, you would maybe get behind one of these replace bills if it significantly moved away from this march towards socialized medicine. If it was a significant step away from that march, then yeah, you'd want to support it. And you certainly would not say, oh, well, I'm not going to support it because it includes funding for Planned Parenthood. And yet it might be the case that some of these Senate Republicans are going to refuse to vote for the best bill, whatever it is, the one that would move us the most away from this path towards socialized medicine. Some of them are going to refuse to vote for it, maybe just two, that's all it takes, In the, you know, the math the way it is. They're going to refuse to vote for it because it includes funding for Planned Parenthood. And what's their reason? Why? Because they believe abortion is wrong. Now, I understand why they believe abortion is wrong. I agree that government shouldn't be funding abortion, but we're looking at this broader context in which you Republicans also agree that the government should be funding some health care. And then the question is, if you believe, as you do, Republicans, I don't, you do, that the government should be funding some health care out of altruistic motives or, you know, that we all... Are sign on to, as taxpayers, if you believe that, then what purpose, I mean, what business do you have drawing a distinction between one type of health care and the other based on your particular religious beliefs, right? Um, I wouldn't, and I, surely you would disagree if there was, you know, funding for medical care either denied or, you know, given based on some sort of Sharia provision. I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about Islam to give you an example. But imagine there was some sort of medical procedure that is wrong, according to Islam, other than abortion, because maybe there is that, and then or, you know the Christian Republicans would agree on that. But suppose there was something that they'd say, okay, well, this medical procedure, you can't have it, according to Sharia law, so we're going to say no, you know, deny funding. I think a lot of Republicans would say, no, we're not going to deny funding based on Sharia law. That's this religion. So why are you doing it based on Christianity? Why would you deny funding for one versus the other? So it's an arbitrary in terms of what is important in politics distinction. Religion, I think, should be strictly separated from politics. Why? Because religion is a matter of faith and you're asking in politics, you're having government use force. The whole purpose of government is to protect individual rights and protect the ability of people to act according to their own conscience. And what these Republicans are saying is they don't want to fund Planned Parenthood among all the other providers of health care. They're not going to fund Planned Parenthood because it violates the terms that they have in their own private consciences, not everybody else. So they want to force what they think is right and wrong, this you know, procedure of abortion on to other people. You know, in part this is why Roe versus Wade was such a horrible mistake, because the court in Roe versus Wade never took on the issue of a fetus having rights. It was all this balancing state interests and stuff and left it all open as if it was perfectly okay for the state to take an interest in this and then we just balance it against the other interests and we'll come up with some compromise. Very, very pragmatic and left all of this up in the air. Um, why, do, why do I bring this? I say, okay, well, it is definitely interesting for me as a host of this show and I think it's important to say, okay, I don't know all of the particulars of these plans, but if there is this plan that does this, I certainly would not refuse to endorse the plan based on the funding for Planned Parenthood. And we can be clear about that ultimately someday I don't think government should fund Planned Parenthood. That's, that's the level of involvement that, that I would want to have in a story like that. Not during vacation, mind you vacation, I think it's perfectly fine to take a complete break from news. And it's not, oh, you're on strike or something, you know. There were times in Atlas Shrugged, a little bit of spoiler here, Dagny would go sort of on a little bit of a mini strike, you know, up into the cabin and make trails and do different things, keep herself busy and away from everything that was going on in the world after a particularly disheartening blow that that she'd experienced as, as the head of Taggart Transcontinental. It's not just for that that you might need a break away. You might just need to take a bit of a break and stand back and not continually absorb the news and take a bit of perspective on your life and what's important for it. So breaks are not just for strikes. How about that? And in fact, if you remember hearing in um, Atlas Shrugged? to give another spoiler, any of the strikers, it's not like they were allowed to just go hide and be away from the news. So in, in fact, you would say a short break might be appropriate for anybody, someone who's on strike or is not on strike. It's you know something to kind of collect your thoughts and clear your head and then come back and say, okay, let's see what the facts are on the ground. And you know, hit them from this new perspective. So one thing I do want to say is if I do continue to have opportunities to go on to a show that's got a larger audience, and then they say, okay, we're going to talk about X topic, we're going to talk about all the different bills to repeal Obamacare before Congress or something, then I feel, okay, I can have some real influence, and it is incumbent on me to master the details of the various things. Just as I dug into the study that Tucker Carlson wanted to, study, you know, to look at on his show, I'm going to obviously go in there and look at, at things in more detail. Otherwise, you do. You have to take this step back. You know, there was this tweet from Quent Cordero this morning, and it really hit home with me when I was thinking about this issue of, of value hierarchy. It was that you have to think about what you have the ability to bring about in your own life and act according to that so if I don't have the ability to make people endorse one versus the other and call your senator and, and all that then I'm not going to dive into the details I can tell you what I hope for ultimately and what I would condemn ultimately and you know like I said if there's this ideal bill that really can be this significant step back from socialized medicine and they say no, nope, Planned Parenthood we won't do it that's sad and, um then you really see how religion cripples the Republicans from being true supporters of of capitalism. It's not just because they often also sign on to you know the duty to redistribute wealth, that government is a proper vehicle for redistribution of of wealth. It's not just that it's also the religious beliefs about the propriety of abortion that's going to prevent them from stopping this march towards socialized medicine and how horrible and tragic that is. Um, just Jean in the chat room says, I haven't seen a health reform plan worth supporting yet. I was going to ask you, what did you think about the one that Senator Ted Cruz put forth, though? From what I read, that seemed to be the best option. I don't know if it was going to even have a hope of passing in the Senate, but it did seem like it was the it was the very best option. So anyway, you so you, you got kind of my thoughts on that again. If if I obviously if there's something also that I'm really independently interested in, there's a number of topics that I just happen to take an interest in. We're gonna talk about a couple of them here in a second. I will dig in and get some more details and and things like that. I, I always talk with people about the fact that I don't consider myself to be a scholar per se, but more of a thinker. Nonetheless, if there is a topic that I feel like I need to master in order to, or not necessarily master, but dive more deeply into in order to address some concern that I have either in my life or just, Answer a question that I'm interested in, I'll, I'll dig in some more. An example was right to privacy, the so-called right to privacy. And I dove into pragmatism and the theoretical foundation of pragmatism a bit, just enough for me to feel like I had a, a handle on it so that I could show the connection between pragmatism and the evolution of the right to privacy in the United States, how those are connected. I had to do that work. You know, I had a, um, a great advisor in my undergrad, a math professor, and he talked about that, that he didn't see himself as a scholar per se. He, every time he had a question he wanted to answer, he'd go, and he'd go sit in somebody else's seminar or whatever it was that he needed to do to get up to speed on something that he had an interest in. But if you don't have this interest, there's not this value connection to your own life, it, it's, it's hard to get super motivated about these things. But yeah, so let's look. And there's these stories that I have. It's interesting because they do fit into this concern that I have with hierarchy. You know, how is it that you organize all the different values that you have in your life? You know, how much time and energy do you devote to the thing that makes you the money versus the thing that you consider your real career? Your, the thing that's your real potential for a future career. And by career, it's going to be Something hopefully that challenges you intellectually, and that you feel like you are doing something that's worthwhile, that provides something of, of value to people as, as well. And for everybody, there's a lot of options about exactly what that is. You know, so, so making those decisions, the value hierarchical decisions. How much news do you want to absorb? How in the weeds do you want to get? A you know, with those health plans, for example your particular purpose in digesting the news and what values you think you can achieve by doing that is going to condition what you're going to do with it going forward. You know, Vacations, um, family, friends, and all of that, so, you know, those, those can reinforce a productive career as well. Some people will, you know, you dive into it as an escape from something else. And it's always being self-aware about this, And time away to refuel can be that time where you can take stock and say, okay, these are my priorities, and this is how I want to organize everything within that. There's just so much that we can pursue in our limited time on this planet, and it's important to do the best that we can to get this right. You can't beat yourself up over any past decisions that you've made in this regard, of course, because... There's a lot of us and there's trials in your life, you know, health concerns and other things that happen that make you not as good at being an executive to making those executive decisions for a period of time. But as soon as you regain the bandwidth and the capability and the ability to step back, look at this and just do the best you can and every so often revisit it and organize those values around the central purpose. The other values that you have in your life don't need to be set aside entirely, but you need to think consciously about how they help to support that productive purpose. And this is, like I said, the sort of thought process that vacation gives me. Here's, here's some more exercise in hierarchy in a different way, though. And these are these stories having, well, it's, it's all around the one story. Trump goes out there on Twitter this morning And he announces transgender people are not going to be allowed in the military. And he does it in a series of tweets, right? How many tweets does he have here? It looks like three. And at the end of the third tweet, he says, thank you. But he says that the reason that the U.S. government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the military is that the military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory. So that's the central purpose of the military, right? Decisive and overwhelming victory. And then he says it cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption that transgender in the military would entail. Three tweets, but still in the space of three tweets, the thing that he can't really tell you is what does he mean by disruption? How does this, disruption come about. He talks about the issue of medical costs and, you know, in an ideal situation, excuse me, I have to take a sip of water here. I'm just talking nonstop. Medical costs is an issue that should be able to be set aside. ACLU would never let that happen, of course. But, you know, suppose you decided, I do want transgender individuals to be able to serve in some capacities in the U.S. military. However, I don't think it's right for the U.S. military to be burdened with the total medical expenses that are involved in actually changing gender, gender reassignment surgery and all the accompanying hormonal treatments and all the other things that are involved. Maybe you think, look, there is no right To serve in the military, it is correct for our military to be selective and to reject people and say, no, you know, you have either a physical problem or a psychological problem or both that would prevent you from being an effective member of the U.S. military or any military, you know, militaries in general. There's no right to do this, and so... Suppose we tell you transgender individuals, we see that you could be of value in certain capacities. However, we think that we don't, you know, want to cover all of the costs of your surgery, right? Um, Just Jean is writing something in the chat room about Cruz's plan uh, for repealing, replacing Obamacare, and I'll take a look at that in, in a second. Let me go through and, and finish this here, but I think it's important to get back to that. Um, yeah, so suppose you want to do that. You say, okay, you can come in, but you're not going to have the same complete and total coverage of medical expenses and everyone else's because you have this condition that makes your medical treatment cost so much more than everybody else. We're not going to pay for tra- you know, gender reassignment surgery. We're not going to pay for the ongoing I don't know enough about it, but suppose there's ongoing for life hormonal treatments and stuff that are required. I, I don't know. But I think that'd be fair, right? If they decided that, it would be fair. I don't think any court in the United States today would uphold it. You know, Donald Trump, there's been a few things that he's tried to do that were decent and that have been struck down by courts. Courts have thwarted a few semi-decent things that he's tried to do. No, he's not doing them on principle and everything else, but he's trying to do sometimes a few things that are good. And the courts are striking him down, I think a court would strike that down. Now that just sets aside the issue of cost, medical cost, tremendous medical costs. The other issue is disruption. And the question we could all ask is, how significant is that disruption, right? How significant is that disruption? What does that disruption consist of? No, you know, Nobody on this Twitter, of course, can say. What I did give you to look at in the program notes, and I would suggest going ahead and looking at the entire thread, is there's this, and on Twitter now, some people have been doing this, and, and Twitter becomes the vehicle for spreading ideas sometimes like this when someone has a significant audience on Twitter or when a tweet can go viral and stuff, sometimes it might actually be the right form for doing this. But So what this J.R. Salzman, I, I linked to one of his tweets in the program notes, J.R. Salzman has this series of tweets talking about his experience serving in Iraq in 2006. And the gist of it, but you need you go ahead and you know click on the tweet and go and read the whole thread because what people do in these situations, they have these threads and people have been sharing these threads that threads packed full of important information in the thread you create one of these threads by responding to your own tweet so he responds to his own tweet responds to his own tweet and keeps going this is what trump did with his three tweet series about you know announcing this policy but so what this guy does is he explains that in certain types of combat situations that are so monotonous that they're starting to be brain and morale cracking, in that situation, you could have the most minor issue going on in your life. Psychologically speaking, he talks about Dear John letters and different things that could happen to people, that it will make them go berserk under the context, right? So his point is you would assume that a transgender person would have at least some small issues that they're dealing with. Psychologically, Now, I had one friend who wrote and said, well, transgender people have been around for a long time and typically any sort of indecisiveness or, you know, uncertainty or psychological issues, those get sorted out very early on in their lives and kind of, I guess, once they change their gender, everything is cool and they're actually very settled individuals and they're okay. Psychologists can talk about this. I'm not capable of being an expert. I could tell you off the top of my head that it seems reasonable to me that if you are somebody who takes this radical step of actually changing your gender, gender reassignment surgery and the hormones and everything else, and who knows the hormones themselves. As a woman, I know about hormones um, and the kind of variations in hormones that we can experience and what they can do a little bit to your mind and mood and things like this. And, you know, imagine, yeah, you're out there in that situation in the desert. Everything's monotonous and everybody's going a little bit crazy. Maybe it would be rational for the military to say at least don't put transgender individuals in that situation. Now, again, what did Trump say? Trump said any capacity. Any capacity. But... What you could look at this as is, again, an exercise on hierarchy. What is the role of the military? I, I do like that he said that they have to be focused on decisive victory, that the, you know the whole purpose. You know, you don't talk about the military being meals on wheels and all the humanitarian missions and stuff everywhere. He focused on the issue of the military serving its proper purpose which is to fight wars with kill people and break things we used to talk about. If they're doing that, there's certain situations in which it might be a real liability to have a significant problem that could rear its ugly head in, in the type of situation this guy describes. It's food for thought. It's something to think about. And again, you'd have to make this decision of hierarchy. Maybe there is some distraction and some problems but you might also decide that there's some sort of values that you want to promote in the context of the military. Maybe you want to remind people in the military that they are fighting for a society in which, even if you think it's irrational, it, people are free to change their gender, right? Uh, that we would have the freedom to do it, not at government expense mind you, right? I don't think government should be paying for gender reassignment surgery or anything else. You know, let the ACLU go try and argue that. Good luck. But maybe, you know, again, this is, I would defer to military experts. I would want the military experts who make this decision to not have irrational prejudice against certain people that they'd actually be looking at the best science available and yes, psychology is a young science and everything else. But, you know, I'd want them to be looking rationally at the evidence, look at the hierarchy of values that they want to further in the military, which is not, you know, the the ultimate purpose is to kill people and break things. But you want that to be done in a mindful way so that the people who are doing the killing people and the breaking things, they know exactly what they're fighting for. They keep in mind what they're fighting for. So you're not going to have racial segregation in the military, for example. Um, and maybe you're going to allow transgender people who've got it together to serve in the military. And maybe you say, okay, well, you're taking some risk, but you might be taking some risk with this guy who is divorced or, you know, whatever it is that you've got. People have their things. And... You you again, what what's the standard? The standard is that overarching purpose, but the purpose is not divorced from all the other values. The purpose is going to encompass all of those other values at all. So it's a you know it's an exercise in hierarchy. You can't solve it in a tweet. And in fact, I've got this other article, and I don't know how true it is or not. If it's true, it's super sad, right? Because it means that the decision is being made not according to the proper standard, which is let's make the military the best it can be at doing the killing people and breaking things that is actually necessary to fight proper wars, right? This is what proper wars. It's got to be a proper war and then you just get this force, this exertion of force over with as much as possible. War should be an an exceptional thing and we should eliminate the thread as quickly as possible, minimal loss of life on our side, get it done with. Don't have it go on forever. There was, a, there was an article in New York Times this morning It was uh, that Trump found a reason to stay in Afghanistan, that he found a reason, right? Because the Democrats want him to stay in Afghanistan. He wants to make everybody happy. He's a pragmatist. He wants to satisfy as many demands as possible, right? So why does he want to stay in Afghanistan? He wants to stay there. His excuse is because there's these rare earth minerals that you can get from Afghanistan. What a bunch of garbage. This is not the purpose of our military. We either have a legitimate military objective in Afghanistan or we don't. You don't come up with some excuse because somebody's upset that you're going to withdraw. You, you either stay or you, or you go based on legitimate military exec, uh, objective. So what's the thing that makes me upset here? There's an Igar article. Trump admin official reveals the strategy behind the transgender military ban. What's the strategy behind it? They want to put the Dems, the Democrats, on their heels in 2018. And it goes on to say that the Democrats are going to be in the unenviable position of having to oppose Trump on this particular issue, saying, you know, we disagree with him. And then the question asked, this official reportedly said, and here's the quote from the IGR article, how will the blue-collar voters in in these states respond when senators up for re-election in 2018, like Debbie Stabenow, are forced to make their opposition to this, this, a key plank in their campaigns, end quote. And what's the presumption? The presumption is that the blue-collar voters are going to be sympathetic with excluding transgender persons from the military probably for irrational reasons right you know I had this whole discussion just now about what would the legitimate reasons be for excluding them that would be my standard and again leave military experts using the best that science psychology gives to them to try to make the decision in the context of that hierarchy um, But here are these probably irrational prejudices that blue-collar people have. And Trump's whole thing is, let's make this decision, not necessarily on the merits. It it, it actually, I think, would be a hard decision to make. Which way would it go on the merits? Suppose he says it's 50-50, but he's going to make it not a coin toss, but instead he's going to do it because he wants the Democrats to have the difficulty of appealing to people who have irrational prejudices that agree with Trump on this right anyway it's sad if if it's really just about politics and it's not anything about the effectiveness of the military if that's the true thing behind it then of course Trump is also um, misrepresenting why he did it in the tweet And and that's sad as well So, as I said, go check out the J.R. Salzman series of of tweets and and, uh, look at that. Let me go back quickly to the issue of Cruz's plan for Obamacare. Cruz uh, says he wants to solve the biggest problem with Obamacare, that it robs the healthy to pay for the sick. And what she says is that his plan is really just proposing to change the details of how People get robbed to pay for other people's health care she says instead this is just Jean thank you for putting this in the chat room she says instead of healthier Americans subsidizing the health care costs of the sick through forced participation in high-cost health plans he would use their tax dollars to quote directly subsidize the costs because that's the more honest approach I mean you might say that that's the same rationale behind what Iran Brook was arguing for recently, right, which he was arguing for the fact that if you actually eliminated all of the welfare, re- you know, uh, wealth redistribution programs that we have, everything, the whole social safety net, if you got rid of all of that and you replaced it with universal basic income, that it would be more straightforward and more honest. And I think that's true with this as well, right? <laughs> Craig in the chat room says, about the Trump decision on transgender? How could a political decision be about anything but politics? Craig is one step more cynical than I am about these politicians. He's definitely uh, maybe one big step ahead of me in cynicism about this. this. This idea of Ted Cruz saying it's more honest to do the redistribution one way versus the other, Is that just about politics? Uh, It's probably partly about politics, but I tend to think he's also got a little bit more in him. I do think that even though Cruz is not an objectivist, that objectivism has had some influence on him, and the difference that makes the difference with a politician like Cruz that will at least in part act on good motives because they're all acting on mixed motives. God help them, they're in that horrible situation that they're in of, entrenched cronyism and everybody else is playing that game, so why aren't they? I think, I, I get the impression he's sometimes acting on good motives. I still believe that about them. Even even though he disappoints me on a number of things, I disagree with him on a number of things. I, I tend to think that he is sometimes operating on motives other than politics, that he wants to actually do some good in the situation they he's at. So you can say, Amy, you're just you know, delusional, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. And I say, okay, it won't be the first time, but that's where I that's where I sit on that. Let's take a diversion and there's something that's very different to me than the transgender issue. I, I think that there's a distinction that you could draw between someone who's transgender and this next news story that my friend Brian Yoder shared on Facebook transblind a woman identifies herself as blind and then because she's not blind she uses chemicals to blind herself forever and apparently she did this under the supervision of a psychologist it didn't take you know a medical professional to do this now mind you there there's other stories that are like this that I've seen you know years ago I've started seeing stories like this somebody says I self-identify as an amputee, and they go to a doctor, and a doctor agrees to amputate a leg for them, for example. I have seen stories like that. I didn't bother to dig one up. I didn't have time to dig one up this morning and give it to you. I'm sorry, you can find it if you Google. So there have been situations in which a doctor governed by Hippocratic oath, Typically, the profession is supposed to be governed by the Hippocratic Oath first, do no harm, et cetera. They will help these people become an amputee when they had a perfectly healthy limb that they could use and walk on and be around as a functioning human being. No, because they self-identify as an amputee. To me, that is different and this idea of, you know, you're going to make yourself blind, that's different from the issue of transgender, and I'll talk about why in a second, but one more point about this trans blind woman. So she was supervised by a psychologist, and I asked the question, well, is there some maybe a different, slightly different hierarchy of values that they're dealing with? It's not exactly the Hippocratic Oath in terms of physical harm, that it maybe there'd be more condoning of of this in a realm of psychology the woman is so bad off psychologically somehow this is going to actually solve an issue for her and i mean i think it's horrible but i'm here i am i'm doing what the the study that tucker assigned me to do i'm coming up with these arguments i, I don't find this at all persuasive let me tell you and no i'm not closed minded but i don't find this persuasive um you know maybe they say if she just makes herself blind that somehow she's going to achieve peace in her life and everything's Maybe I just speculate. I don't know nothing. I know nothing. I don't know nothing. There's my grammar towards the end of the show. Uh, I don't know anything about this context of ethics. So I have a psychologist friend who comes in and says, no, uh, the ethics of psychologists would never condone this, that it is wrong to, um, allow a patient, if you know that they stand to be a physical danger to themselves, it's wrong to allow them to do this, that you would try to take steps to make sure that they are incapable of harming themselves. You know, you wouldn't give someone who's suicidal a gun, et cetera. You, you want to take steps to prevent them from harming themselves until the impulse passes, because the impulse will pass and the person is going to come to see that, no, actually, my vision is a value to me as a functioning human being it would be nice for me to be able to read and take in all the information that i need to do in order to pursue a productive career for example not that blind people can't figure out ways to do it but it is easier at least it's a tremendous value site that we have and it's one of the senses that we can use to distinguish the things around us and form concepts you know you could read the history of helen keller and how difficult it was for her to form concepts having no vision and no hearing these you know senses that we have help us to see the similarities and differences in form concepts this is part of our human nature the idea that you're going to take away so it's apparently also against the ethics of psychologists to do this as well which is which is good to hear but how horrific now why do i think this is at least arguably different, how you pursue your sexuality in life, whether you decide you're homosexual or whether you decide you're transgender and stuff, you aren't necessarily, in those cases I don't think, interfering with your human nature, a, a basic function of your human nature. So the guy who you know, chops his leg off, he can't walk properly anymore you know this woman she can no longer see at first i guess she put the drops in and it didn't immediately take away all her vision and she was disappointed and then over a series of months she went blind You better hope she's quote happy with with her decision I, this is the you know irreversible and she's stuck not being able to perform this basic human function which is required to engage in productive and and life sustaining activity and this is the kind of thing that people are doing, I would say that transgender is not that. That's a discussion we could have because I only have a few minutes left to the show. How convenient is that? I just give you that. <laughs> I, t- I think that you could draw a distinction here. Let's think about it. Oh, don't have time to discuss it now. Let's continue. But we can. We can c- continue the discussion at the blog. We can. People can call in next show and hold me to task for it or whatever it is that you that you think you want to do. Um. In the chat room, Brian says, get a second opinion. Yeah, certainly get a second opinion before I do this. So, what else do we have here in the program notes that I'm never going to get to? Sorry about this, people. Uh, Ambassador John Bolton, he is saying that according to him, or actually, he's, he's been asked to comment on a report that North Korea could have a nuclear capable intercontinental ballistic missile next year. And what's his solution? His solution is that we should. To this particular diplomatic option for dealing with North Korea, convinced China to unite North and South Korea. China to unite North and South Korea. Now, um, wrong. I think on my view, I, I, I've disagreed with him before. I disagree with him on Snowden. I usually like a lot of what he says, but I think this is wrong here because what happens to South Korea? What are we, you know, sort of selling South Korea into? if we're encouraging China uniting North and South Korea, there's going to be, quote, some compromise such that the South Koreans are going to lose freedom. We have no business doing that in order to deal with our particular military problem. Um, I mean, first of all, we haven't dealt with North Korea properly over all these years. Our default does not entitle us to sacrifice South Korea, in my view, You can't say, okay, well, the most important thing is we get rid of this threat, and then therefore we can sacrifice every single value subordinate to that. No, I don't think we are entitled to to send the South Koreans off. The South Koreans are distinct from North Korea. They have not themselves been enablers, supporters, or whatever of the North Korean regime, which is the thing that poses the danger to us. So it's not like they're civilians even within the same country. And he's proposing, oh, yeah, just, you know, have China unite them. If China, the communist country, is going to unite North and South Korea, you bet it's going to be con- communist. So I'm, I'm against that. There's a federal judge nominee who claims that the Bible precedes the Constitution. Now, how's that for an inversion of hierarchy? We're talking about a government with a secular constitutional basis and potentially, in order to satisfy the demands of his evangelical Supporters, potentially Trump and the GOP are going to maybe appoint a federal judge nominee who thinks that religion comes first, and then what sort of precedent would that set for Sharia law and everything else? I've only got about ninety seconds here. Companies set to become the first in the u s. to microchip employees, yeah, I guess if you're a company, you could say you can't have a job with us unless you consent to a microchip, but the company should consider other values in the hierarchy like giving employees some privacy and that maybe they're going to be more productive, actually, in the long run, if they have privacy. Susan Cain in her book, Quiet, has talked about that in different contexts. Uh, Quantum computing is coming for your data. We'll probably have to talk about that more in another show, but what it shows is the technology, the technological solution that Edward Snowden likes to tout in addition to legislation. But technology is not going to be enough to protect our privacy. We're going to need modifications in constitutional doctrine in order to get it. Uh, Jezebel's in the studio. Uh, I got a picture of the drummer, Nick Kaloper in the uh, Instagram link there, and you see it on display in the song that I've linked to. So check that out. Go to DontLetItGo.com. Follow me, Twitter, Facebook, everything else. Thanks, everyone. I will talk to you next week, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. Thanks. Take care.